If you have a Bible with you, I invite your attention to Romans chapter 12. So you can be turning there, and we'll get to that text in just a moment. Romans chapter 12 in just a moment. Well, I want to say once again, Happy New Year to everyone. I trust that you're well. I trust that your holidays went well, time with family and and otherwise was good. And I have to tell you, I'm excited. I truly am about all that God has for our church in the coming new year and for all that I believe God has in store for us. And so today I want to talk to you about sort of a vision for what I believe the church can and should be, especially in the context of our church here at Hardy Street. I just want to cast vision, sort of the the, the new year, new you kind of a mindset, not that we're uh, changing anything fundamentally other than just a continued pursuit of those things that matter most, focusing our hearts and our lives and our attention on the Lord. I have to tell you that every single year, uh, I spend the last couple of months of the year, usually November and December, really reflecting personally, reflecting on my family. I spend a lot of time thinking about our church, and I, I look at what is good and what needs improvement, what things we need to focus on. And over these past two months, I've spent a lot of time thinking about you thinking about this church and thinking about the local church in general. And, and I don't know about you, but I love the church. Whew. Good. I do. I love the church. I mean, I love it. I, I absolutely love being with the believers that we call a faith family. Nothing in the world, nothing in the world has the potential to change the world like the mission of the body of Christ, the family of faith, fully realized. When the church is functioning as it ought, when the church is doing what it should, there is nothing on earth like it. The local church is the hope of the world because the local church is the seedbed of the message of the gospel. This is the place where lives are changed. This is the place where hearts are transformed. This is the place where eternity is born in the hearts and lives of men and women and boys and girls. This is a place where the next generation is introduced to Jesus Christ. So as we think about that, I often have to wonder, couldn't Jesus have come up with a better plan than us. I mean, it almost seems like if he wanted to accomplish his mission, he would have done so without any human intervention. It would have been a whole lot easier if he had just directed the earth from heaven on his own without any help or or guidance or input from us. I think that would have been a much better approach. I mean, think about this. As far as I'm concerned, um, our involvement in church seems to muddy the waters. It seems to kind of muddle things a bit. It seems like he could have done far better without us, but that's not what he chose. No, he chose you and he chose me. And he chose us to be together in this. He decided that he was going to take all of his power and all of his authority and all of his strength and all of his love and pour those things into the hearts of people who would band together in his name and would become this thing called the church. And the strangeness of that is that it's pretty amazing and it's doubtless a sign of his grace that we would accomplish anything. We are so different, so radically different in our bent, in our background, in our mindset. And to think that flawed and frail human beings could come together to accomplish anything 
is amazing. But I'll go back to what I said. There's nothing in the world like the local church. And when the mission of the local church is fully realized in and through the church, it is truly life-changing. As I began to think about this, though, as, as 21 kind of began to wind down with the, a new year looming right in front of us, all of us, I think, perhaps begin to think and ask questions. And I asked this question just a couple of weeks ago, and I began to jot some things down. This is not in your notes. I just wanted to share my heart with you. Really, today is all about me sharing my heart as your pastor. As I come to uh, start my seventh year here as pastor, we just kind of passed our, our sixth anniversary, and I began to think about where we want to go and where the Lord would lead us. But I asked this question, when is the church at its best? I mean, you think about all of the messes that happen in church. You see it all over the place. Somewhere written, even this morning, is some negative comment thrown toward, hurled at the church, whether it's local or it's just philosophical about church in general. Somebody out there hates the church, and the church struggles with its own branding because so many of our wounds are self-inflicted. Jesus said that we would be known as his disciples because of our love for one another, but oftentimes we're known more for the things that we're against than the things that we're for. We're known far, far more for fighting than we are for loving one another. So I asked that question, when is the church at its best? And several things just began to flow, and I, I have to tell you, so did the tears. I began to weep as I thought about what the church can be and what the church has been. In my life, let me just give you a few of these. First, I believe that the church is at its best when it engages people in authentic worship that leads people into the presence of God. Dr. Dykes understands this well. Worship is not for us. Worship is for God. We are not uh, sitting back and watching our worship leaders as performers. No, we are the performers and God is the audience. Our worship leaders are simply prompting us to lift our voices and our hearts and our minds toward God. And there's something so special about it when our worship leads us to a place of experiencing the presence of God, when we're brought face to face with him, not just singing songs, not just praying prayers, not just going through the motions, but actually engaged in his presence in worship. I believe when that happens, the church is at its very best. Secondly, I believe this, the church is at its best when it's caring for the hurting. When we care for those both inside and outside the church, we begin to love people. Think about this with me. There are so many people around us that are sick, that are grieving, that are stressed, that are anxious, that are hurting. And in the midst of that, their lives have at times been made easier through a prayer, through a card, through a visit, through a helping hand or even an offering of food for someone in the church. Would you agree with that? Anybody ever been a recipient of the care of the church? I think most of us could say that. If you've ever been in one of those low places, one of those life-defining moments in your life where you go back to that moment and you say, the church made all the difference in the world. Somebody came and they became the, the hands and the feet. They became the body of Christ wrapping arms around me. And I believe that's when the church there is at its best. I believe also the church is at its best when it begins to nurture children and youth, when it engages the next generation, when we get to the place where we recognize that our investment in the coming generations is huge. Now, this is interesting to me. I wrote this down. It doesn't often benefit that local church. 
The, the sad reality, or well, the truth of reality is that most of the kids and the students in our ministry, and especially the college students that are in our ministry, are not going to stay here for the rest of their lives. No, they're going to go on to school. They're going to go on to careers. They'll move to other places. But the investment that we make in the hearts and in the lives of kids today through our faith factory and through our student ministry begins to shape them for wherever they'll go. And I believe the church is at its best when we inject faith into the next generation, whether that's through our homes or otherwise. Now, why am I sharing all this? I promise you I'm headed somewhere and really wanting to share my, my thoughts with you. These are the kinds of things that just keep me up at night. I believe the church is at its best when it shares the gospel in such a way that it challenges, doesn't condemn. The gospel is good news. And if we're constantly throwing stones and we're making people feel condemned, then they don't hear good news. But when the church is loving and compassionate and holds out hope for a community, they will embrace it and receive it. And I want you to hear this. When someone accepts the truth of the gospel, it will create tension in their lives and it'll call for a change in their life. But I believe that that kind of transformation begins best with love and not condemnation. And I believe when we share the gospel for what it is with people, the hope of eternal life and the joy of unending, abounding, abundant life in Christ, then people find the church to be at its best. Finally, I wrote down these words. The church is at its best when we serve the marginalized in our community. I think about our Celebrate Recovery ministry, and I think about other ministries where we reach out to the addicted and the homeless and the hungry and the ostracized and the broken. It's what Christ did, and it is doing what Christ himself would do in our day. God will bless that kind of ministry. And so all of those things, authentic worship and caring for the hurting and training the coming generation and sharing the good news of the gospel and loving on and ministering to the marginalized is when the church is at its best. But let me give you one more. Because when I wrote this one down, it led directly to this entire year's focus of rediscovering family. I wrote these words. The church is at her best when we act like a family, when we function as a family, when we begin to live this way. We call ourselves a faith family. It's right there on the front of your bulletin. It's a part of our mission statement. We are a family of faith right here in the heart of Hattiesburg. But have you ever given much deep thought as to what that means to be a spiritual family? I mean, to really, truly be involved in each other's lives in that kind of a way, relationally? So I want to show you a picture. It's in Ephesians chapter 2. And I want to read this one verse. So now, you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with God's holy people. You are, read it with me, members of God's family. Say that again. You are members of God's family. Family. I run into people all the time that say the Bible says nothing about joining or being a member of a church. Well, I hope that this one verse blows that out of the water for you because the Bible does talk about being a member of the church. Now, I do hope this. I hope this one verse will challenge your thinking because we're not talking about joining a church like you would join the gym or the Rotary Club, or the Country Club. We're not talking about joining the church and being a member of a church like you're a member of a homeowner's association. No, it means that we are members of a family. 
And in fact, we are adopted into this family. God chose us and allowed us to be a part of this family. John 1.12 says something beautiful. It says this, as many as have received him to those who believe, he gave them the right to become sons of God. The idea is that he would adopt us into his family. And so Hardy Street, you need to hear this. All of us ought to be filled with joy and with gratitude and overwhelming thankfulness that we have been adopted into his family. And that leads us to Romans 12. That leads us to the place where today I want to spend the rest of our time together really focused on what kind of church are we supposed to be? If we are supposed to be a family, if we are a family of faith, what does it actually mean? Because let me just lean in real close with you, and I want you to hear this. I, I think the church has fundamentally changed over the last couple of years. In fact, it expedited it. People have said, well, the church is crumbling. No, I don't think the church is crumbling, although national attendance is down about 35%. If you look across the board, those that are actually in person attending church, we've, we've seen about a third fall away. I recognize there are people at home that are watching. They have legitimate health concerns and so they're not involved, but some have just gotten so easily distracted by other things. And I realize that there's a multiplied uh, abundance of choices. You can find much better preaching on the internet. You can find much more engaging Bible study in some place on a computer screen, but God never intended that. I believe the church is not crumbling, but is being clarified. I believe that true believers, and I'm not trying to pat us on the back because we're here today, and I'm not throwing stones at anyone that's not here, but I do believe that there is a shaking that is going on to see what is still real. And I believe that as it is shaken out, we will begin to see with greater and greater importance and clarity those things that matter most. And we need to commit ourselves to it. If you're a husband here today, or a wife, or a, a father, or a mother, or a grandparent, you need to recognize that your faith matters. Part of the reason that I said that the church is at its best when we're passing along the faith is because we're investing what we have. And when you determine in your life that following Jesus Christ is the sole pursuit of life that matters, then and only then will you begin to export that kind of faith to others. And when we determine that following Jesus matters, we're going to listen differently because he called us to be a family of faith. Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 9, and I'm going to invite you again, if you wouldn't mind, to stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God. Romans 12, beginning in verse 9. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Look at that. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Sounds like a family to me. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Sounds like the home front to me. 
Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. You may be seated and may God bless the reading of his word with understanding and with fruit. If we're honest with ourselves, family can be hard. It, it, it can be messy. Relationships are messy. Church can be hard. It requires relationships. It requires sacrifice. It demands love. But again, I want to say it. Nothing has the potential to change the world like the local church. So let's take a few minutes, and I want us to just consider the implications of this text. I literally have printed it there in your notes point by point because I want you to see that it's drawn straight from the pages of Scripture. I didn't make this up to say, okay, this is the new vision. I didn't come to rally our troops and give us a pep rally of saying we need to do more and do better. No, we need to do right. And what I want us to do is to shift our thinking and say, we don't need to do more. We need to do only that which he tells us to do. And we need to begin becoming all that he wants us to be. And a vision for that kind of a church is right here in the text. I put all of these under the heading of a church should be filled with people that are. So number one, a church should be filled with people that are authentic. Write that word down. We are to be authentic. Right here in the text as you're writing it down, don't just pretend to love others, really love them. We can't just show up Sunday after Sunday and play nice. No, being a family demands that we engage one another lovingly, that we get involved in each other's lives. It means that we love one another and we care for one another. It means you get to know everyone deeper than just their name, deeper than just where they sit in this building. You might be one that would say, Pastor, I just want to show up and sit down and shut up and scoot out. That's kind of my MO. That's what I want to do. But that can be so fake. We can put on a smile and leave and never be impacted by anybody else's life and never impact anyone else's life. And the truth is in that, that being a family doesn't give us that option. You can't just be a part of, be a member of God's family on your own terms. No, there are chores and there are responsibilities and there are relationships. Gathering together is Jesus' idea, not ours. And as I begin to think about this, you're not here just for your own benefit. I'm not here just for my own benefit, but to bless and encourage those around you. Look at the quote that's at the top of your listening guide. I I just was riveted by this. People are longing to discover, rediscover true community. We have had enough of loneliness, independence, and competition. I I believe that's so true. I believe, I I see it all the time. Counseling is on the rise. All kinds of medication and prescriptions are on the rise society-wide. Children are finding themselves broken and struggling to make it through uh, life because of of the way that things have taken us. And in 2022, I want to ask that you would join me in making fellowship in and through the faith family a priority in your life. Here's the deal. As people are hurting, the remedy, the only remedy is genuine, authentic, selfless love. And where else would we experience that but in and through the church? 
Start by getting to know each other. We're going to give you some patterns. Over the next 52 weeks, I'm going to be preaching a lot about family. I'm going to talk about relationships. We're going to talk about real family relationships, but we're going to talk about in the church, what does it look like? We're going to structure our church. You've seen it in the bulletin maybe over the last several weeks. We're going to structure a family ministry plan that will help us get to know one another. Will it be uncomfortable? Probably. Will it be messy? Probably. Will we in 52 weeks from now know each other better? I pray so. Will we pray for one another at a deeper level? I beg God that that would be so. Oh, that we would come to the place where we would move off of our comfortable uh, situation of just sitting down and soaking and souring and leaving. If, If we would just begin to open our eyes to what God's calling us to. And first and foremost, it's authenticity. You see, the sad reality is we can come in this place and we can cover up all of our warts and all of our wounds and all of our hurts and smile at each other and walk back out the door and never let the power of Jesus change our hearts. We don't need to be that. We don't need to be an aquarium of Christians who are on display. No, 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 no. The the keepers of the aquarium has been the, the motto for the modern church for a long time. We're called to be fishers of men. And if we're not going to be authentic, then the world says, I don't want anything to do with that. You see, church attendance is so passe these days. Why would you want to attend church? And in fact, if we understand church, you can't go to church. You are the church. And so you, everywhere you gather, in small groups, in family groups, in home groups, in Sunday school classes, in worship, we are are the church. And why in the world would we not want to be authentic? Because that's where true life change happens. I I want you to know that I'm flawed and frail. And you say, pastor, we know it. (laughs) I I know that you know it, but I want to flaunt that because my God says that his strength is made perfect in Scott's weakness. I want to be authentic with you. And I want us to quit playing games of church and just begin to recognize we would recapture this sense of authenticity Start by getting to know each other. Number two, a church ought to be filled with people who are holy. Look at the scripture. Hate what is wrong and hold tight to what is good. We need to recapture a sense of personal holiness. I heard a story one time of a king who was interviewing potential carriage drivers for he and for his royal family. And there was a pass that they often had to cross, and it was a very narrow pass with a cliff hanging off of one side. And as he interviewed potential drivers, he brought in the first, and he said, how close to the edge of the cliff can you get the carriage tires? And he said, oh, I imagine, your highness, within maybe two feet. He said, very good, you're dismissed. I have other interviews. He interviewed the second driver. How close to the edge of the cliff can you get the wheels of the carriage? And he said, my Lord, I could make it within six to eight inches, certainly less than a foot. He said, thank you very much. I have other interviews. He brought in a third driver and he said, how close to the edge of the cliff can you drive the royal carriage? He said, I have no idea. I stay as far away from it as I can. He said, you are hired. I want that guy driving me. Oh, but I see this all of the time. Christians want to get as close to the edge of sin. They don't want to miss out anything and they want to wring out every bit of fun in the sin that they can. Let me just give you a litmus test or two. Is there something in your life that is sinful that you wish wasn't sin? 
Maybe you've never thought about it that way. If there's something in your life that you enjoy and you say, oh, I wish this wasn't sinful, that probably is a dangerous temptation for you. Let me give you another litmus test. What makes you mad? What really gets under your skin? Is it something righteous or unrighteous? Is there something in the world you see an injustice or is there just some personal preference? You see, we need to recapture personal holiness. We come into this place with such an agenda of our own making. We become consumers in the church and we're not called to be consumers. We're called to be worshipers that would bow ourselves before God and we would experience his presence. We need to recapture a sense of holiness. If this church is going to be all that God wants it to be, we better have a sense of personal holiness. That's every single one of us. I'm not talking about trying a little harder and doing a little better. I'm talking about staying far, far away from the edge of the cliff. You need to put down the baby rattlesnake. Sooner or later, it will bite you. You can have it as a pet, but it does what it does. Sin will destroy your life. Number three, churches that are going to be all that they are supposed to be should be filled with people who are loving. Verse 10, love each other with general, uh, with genuine affection. Take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Verses 10 and 11 go together almost parenthetically. The idea is that serving the Lord naturally follows loving people honoring people. If you're cutting people uh, off at the knees, if your tongue is sharp and you're gossiping about others, you are not serving the Lord how he would desire. These things go together and we've got to be loving. And I love the way that that is constructed. We've already touched on being authentic, but the apostle Paul drives home the point and says, love is a commitment. Love is a verb. Love is an action. It's not a feeling, but it's fleshed out in actions as we honor one another. It's driven by a heart attitude that is committed to the Lord. I love this. It says, take delight and serve enthusiastically. You serve the Lord by serving and loving his people. Hardy Street, let me just lean in and be honest again with you. Maybe it's time that we begin to take the Bible seriously. And when somebody makes us mad, you see, we just kind of go our own way. We think our own thoughts. But the Bible says we're to love one another, and that takes commitment. You didn't necessarily choose your family. God placed you in that family. And you may not like every one of those crazy uncles in your family, but the Bible gives us clear instruction that we're to honor one another in the church family and that we're to love one another. And in doing so, we will serve the Lord. Look at the next part of the text with me, verse 12. Rejoice in confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Be eager to practice hospitality. This is the next word I want you to see. The church ought to be filled with people who are active. The church should be filled with people who are active. Far too long in the North American church, Christians have thought that sitting passively in the back row is what is required of them. And the main goal is just finding a church that you like. That ought to be the least of our concerns. The goal of any Christian should never be to find a church that you like. The goal should be to engage the mission of Jesus Christ in and through the local church. 
The, the reason that you ought to go to church is that you have moved from being a, con, a consumer to a contributor. You've moved to the place where you say, I want to give, not receive. I, I realize you want to come and you be fed. I hear that all the time. Pastor, we're leaving this church or leaving that church. Why? Because I'm not being fed. Are you serving? No. Nope. Well, that may be the problem. You roll your sleeves up and begin to actively engage helping other people, and it'll make all the difference in the world. You see, right now in our deacon ministry, our deacons serve widows, and some do a great job at it, and some kind of struggle through it. But here's my thinking. What would it look like if we all began to serve one another? And so over these next 52 weeks, we're going to design our church in such a way that every person is a part of a family group. And in that family group, there'll be opportunities to serve and to minister. There'll be opportunities to grow and develop. There are some of you that are here today that have never been looked in the eye and asked to do anything. And if that's the case, I'm sorry. But we can't know every gift of every person. And what I'm asking you to do is begin to say, I want to be ready to help. I'll step up. Maybe you need to call us this week and say, Pastor, I love to do this. This is one of my, my passions, and I'd love to help in some way. There's so many things we could do, and I'm not going to spell those things out today. We'll talk about them along the way. But the goal ought to be to engage the mission. Listen to all these verbs. Rejoice. Be patient. Pray, be ready, help, be eager. I, I wrote this down in my journal not long after I got here as I thought about our church because we began to dream and talk about our church growing and developing, and it has. But I would much rather have 30 members of this church that are engaged on mission for Jesus than to have 3,000 that are disconnected and unengaged. And the reason why, the disengaged group will dwindle. They only want what they want, and they want what will feed their needs and tickle their ears and scratch their itches. And if those things don't happen, they'll go to another church and find a place that will. But we need to have passionate men and women who would pour themselves out for the glory of God and for his cause and for his kingdom. And it's across the board. You see, generations make up families. Families, when we gathered together, we didn't always want to sit at the grown-up table. No, me and my cousins would slip off to the kids' table. But sooner or later, we'd all end up kind of gathered back either on the front porch, shelling butter beans or shucking corn, or we'd end up at the piano. And we would all be together. And the wisdom of the older would be passed down to the younger. Now, in our church family, some of you say, Pastor, I am way past the age of getting on an airplane and flying across the sea. But you could pay for somebody to go. You could pray for somebody to go. You say, Pastor, I I'm too young to do certain things. But there are things that you can do as a student or as a teenager. As a college student, you've got youthful energy. And there's opportunity for you in and through this church to make an impact on the world for Jesus Christ. And every single one of us need to say, I'll step up. Here I am, Lord. I'm willing. I'll go. Everybody has a job to do. And when we do our jobs as a family of faith, then God begins to honor and bless. There's another analogy I'll give you in just a moment. The analogy of the body. But I want to go a little further with this idea. Church should be filled with people who are authentic and holy and loving and active and fifth intentional. Look at the text. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. You see, 
At a time when the gospel is needed the most by the world, the world appears to be least interested. And part of the reason is because we have cursed the world instead of blessing them. We have cursed the world instead of praying for them. And being intentional means we understand lost people act lost. They do sinful things. But when we begin to do sinful things and we excuse it in the name of all manner of things, we justify and rationalize it. And rationalize is nothing more than rational lies. We gossip and call it prayer requests when all the while we need to be praying for our lost neighbors. Don't just bash the government on Facebook. Pray for the government. And you said, that's hard. You're right. That's what I've been trying to tell you. It is almost impossible for you to do it. In fact, it is impossible for you to do it in your own strength and in the flesh. But in the Spirit of God, all things are possible. And we ought to be so winsome to the world that they say the people of Hardy Street live different. Those people love. Those people pray. Those people are passionate about one another. They care for one another. They minister to one another. And the outreach of that spills over into the community. We need a revival in the church that would bring spiritual awakening in the world, and it happens because we are intentional. Look at the quote on your page, uh, on your listening guide by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. The brother is a burden to the Christian precisely because he is a Christian. For the pagan, the other person never becomes a burden at all. He simply sidesteps every burden that others may impose on him. We get mad at somebody in the church, so we just say, well, I'll go somewhere else. I'll pick up my toys and leave. As a family, we're not given that option. Maybe you've experienced it in your family. Anybody, you don't have to raise your hand or acknowledge it. Anybody got a prodigal in your family? Somebody that's walked away, they've disowned? Well, the heartache that comes from prodigal situations because the relationships are severed and it was never intended to be that way. Here I want you to see that we must be intentional about this matter of the church. You need to make these things priority in 2022. You say, but pastor, I got a lot of things going with my job and with school. It's irrelevant. Those things are simply a platform through which you become the church. God has called you vocationally to live out the gospel wherever you go. And that is the intent. Now, as we begin to think about being intentional of those things, let them trickle from your heart and your head to your feet. <laughs> begin to say, I'll serve, I'll share, I'll pray, I'll love, I'll bless, I'll do all the things that are here. Maybe you've sat on the sideline, well, I'm calling everybody to get in the game. You've heard me say this before. Christianity is not a spectator sport. It really is like a football game. There are 22 out on the field in desperate need of a rest, and there are 22,000 in the stands in desperate need of some exercise. That's good right there. And it's true. And some of you I've seen at the ball game. We go there, and we recognize that uh, things are a little out of whack. All of us are called to be involved in what God has called this global enterprise of redemption. Now, as we begin to think of it, I wrote down one more thing in my notes that I really wanted to share with you. I wrote this question down two weeks ago in my study. If you could dream up the perfect church, what would it look like? 
I, I want you to begin to think about that. If you could dream up the absolute perfect church, some of you immediately would say, oh, there would be choir robes. Oh, there would be an organ. Oh, there would be contemporary music. Oh, there would be pews or seats. Oh, there would be this, that, or the other. Oh, there would be no more coffee in the sanctuary. Oh, there would be coffee flowing in abundance in the sanctuary. You, you just mentioned all of these preferences and things in your life. What would the perfect church look like? And as I, as I wrote out that question, Dr. Kaler, I filled out about two or three pages on a legal pad of what a perfect church would look like. Oh, this is how it would function, and this is what it would look like, and this is what it would do. And the Spirit of God convicted me in a deep, deep-seated way, and here was the answer. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Because the church isn't about me. And so can I just tell you, if you ask that question, you begin dreaming about what the perfect church would look like, it doesn't matter. The only opinion matters about what the church looks like is Jesus' opinion. He said, I will build my church. He owns it. He bought it. He shed his blood for it. And so you and I need to quit dreaming about what a perfect church would look like from our perspective and say, Jesus, what do you want me to be? Not where do you want me to go because we can't go to church. We are the church. Does that make sense to somebody? Hello. Amen. And if we'll get this down in our hearts and get this down in our minds that we are the church, then we'll begin to see that we're to be these kinds of things. We're to be authentic and loving. We're to be committed to one another in such ways as we've described because it doesn't matter. And here's why. God's idea of church is far more glorious than any dream we could ever conjure. Now, let me draw this toward the close. I want you to see that we need to stop trying to make this church and any other church activity what we want it to be, and we need to start being the body of Christ. Write that down. We need to be the body of Christ. And I want to give you sort of a definition for this here in a moment, but as we think about it, he's the head, and he calls the shots. He sets the agenda. If you're part of the body, then you better be listening to him. You better be taking direction from him. Otherwise, the body's not healthy. I mean, think about that. If one part of the body is out of whack and not doing its function, anybody ever have a toothache and it hurts you in the bottom of your feet? I mean, it was miserable to sleep because of one small thing that was not quite right. Well, the same thing's true in a church. And if we've got busybodies in the church or if we've got gossips in the church or if we've got racism in the church or if we've got selfishness in the church, you, you see on and on. When there's sin inside the church, the body doesn't function healthily. It's almost like a body having a seizure. One thing is not in sync with all of the rest. And the Bible tells us that we are to be the body of Christ, the hands and the feet and the mouthpiece of Jesus in this world. So what do we do about all of these things. How do we become a healthy family of faith? Well, I believe with all of my heart, we come to the place where we recognize that Jesus wants us to be this, a safe community. I want you to write these things down. A safe community where souls can rest, love, heal, and grow in the Lord. There's a whole sermon there. I could unpack each of these. I'm not going to. We will do that across this year. You're going to see this again and again. I want you to read it with me. I know some of you are writing, but just take a moment and read it. Here it is. A healthy family of faith is, now read it, a safe community where souls can rest, love, 
heal, and grow in the Lord. That's what a family of faith is. Your, your home ought to be a safe place. Don't raise your hand. Anybody grow up in a home that wasn't safe? It wasn't safe emotionally, or maybe it wasn't safe physically, and you longed for safety. Maybe you got pulled out of that home and placed in a foster home, and for the first time, you realized that there is love, there is security. Maybe you grew up in a home that was safe and healthy. That's what the church is supposed to be. And enough with the backbiting and infighting and doing all kinds of things selfishly, we need to turn our hearts upward so that we would see God wants this church to be a safe, safe place, a community where souls can rest. Sometimes we get beyond ourselves with that. Anybody ever been church fatigued? I have. Somebody said it this way, Mary had a little lamb. It would have become a sheep, but it joined a local Baptist church and died for lack of sleep. Sometimes we get so busy. What I want to do in 2022 is clear the calendar of fluff and seek the Lord together. And as we seek the Lord together, I believe we're going to see incredible things. How are we going to do that? We're going to foster family. We're going to create connections. We're going to grow together in godliness. And again, you're going to hear over and over again about this family ministry. We'll be unveiling it a little later in the month. On the 30th, I'll really begin to share it with everybody. But we're not talking about something that changes fundamentally anything about what you do. We're not making you go to a different class. We're not making you change anything. We're simply beginning to focus ourselves in a very attentive way, our staff, more intentional than ever, focused on loving people and praying for people and ministering to people. And when we do that, I believe we're going to see the greatest year that we have ever seen possible. And here's the deal. We don't need any more information. What we need is transformation. You know enough. You've heard enough. We've seen enough. I've spoken enough. I'm tired of preaching informational sermons where you can walk away and say, I never knew that. No, I want you to take what you do know and act on it. So we're going to have a call to action. We're going to kind of sound that clarion call. And there are going to be specific things that we're going to call you to. Let me just give you a list. We're going to call people boldly to become Christians for the very first time to give themselves to Christ. I'm going to call you to join the mission. Find a place of service. Find Find a place of ministry. Find a place where you can get out of the stands and into the game, and we will work on this together through these family groups. Let me just give you one simple thought. As we looked at the family groups, there's about 75 people that will be in each. There's six family groups, and, and we just did this randomly as we kind of assigned them out of our database, and as we did that, each group has a staff member and three active deacons, current deacons. Those current deacons and that staff member will pray for and lead that group. And the beauty is out of those 75 people, what would it look like if you said, you know what, I want to get to know these 75, so I'm going to start writing cards. And you write cards to all of those people for their birthday. We're going to give lists in a directory so that you'll know your family group. Pastor, can I talk to people in another group? Absolutely not. You're cut off. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Absolutely. But we just want you to get to meet some new people. We want to, you won't have to sit with them on Sunday mornings, but we want you to get to know one another. If somebody in your group goes to the hospital or has surgery, my dream is that those deacons and that staff member would rally that family group and they would love that person. They would do Romans 12 where it says, be ready to help. 
Over and over again, the Bible calls us to this idea that we are interconnected and interdependent. You need me and I need you and we'll serve together. So we'll call people to become Christians. We'll call them to join the mission. We'll call on you to bring a friend, bring somebody else. I want people to walk in this place and say, I belong here. I belong there. They knew my name. They loved me. They cared for me. I want you to choose community. I want you to say, you know what? I've never been a part of a Sunday school class or a small group. We're going to give you new and unique opportunities in 2022. We want you invested in these things. We're going to call on you to give generously. We know that in 2022, we've got some pretty major renovations that need to happen to these physical buildings. And I know that physical buildings don't change the world, but this ought to reflect the glory of God that we say we serve, that we love him, and we want it to be the very best that it can be. So I'm going to unashamedly call on our church family to come together and let's do a renovation of the house and let's begin to operate as a family and be proud of it, invite our friends to it, practice hospitality. Can you tell I've spent a little time thinking about some of these things? I don't know about you, but when I dream of what the church would look like if it was perfect, I just start reading my Bible and seeing what it looked like when Jesus touched lives. Because every time I see Jesus touching a life, they were never, ever again the same. And I pray that Hattiesburg would be fundamentally different because of Hardy Street Baptist Church. And the only way that will happen is if it is a church filled with people who do those things that we've mentioned and we begin to love on one another. Let me remind you of Ephesians 2. You are no longer foreigners and aliens or strangers. but No, you are citizens among all of God's people and you are members of God's family. Part of me just wanted for us to have Brother West come and sing, We Are Family. I don't know if anybody wants to hear that this morning. You're going to go home and be singing that song all week. We are family. God has called us together as brothers and sisters in Christ to love one another, to forbear with one another. Starting this Wednesday night, I'm going to share with you uh, a series of messages called Horizontal Jesus. And I'm going to talk about how our relationship with one another impacts our relationship with the Lord. The Bible says that. And these are going to go hand in hand. So I want to challenge you, be here. So gather together, come together as the church, and let's focus on what God has for us in the coming new year. Amen? I'm praying like never before that God would save people in and through the ministry of this church. I'm praying that God would take this body like never before and turn us into a house of prayer. You see the language? It's a house. It's a family. It's a home. We are together members of this family, adopted into his family. God wants us to be family. Family's messy. Family's hard. Family hurts at times. But family is worth it all. Isn't it funny that when we start talking about things we're thankful for most of the time, that's one of the first, well, I'm thankful for my family. Why? Because those are the people that love and accept and embrace you. Oh, that we would become that kind of body here together. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask that you would just continue to lead and guide and shape our thinking regarding being the body of Christ and being a family of faith. Lord, we love you. Lord, we need you. And even this morning as we sing, I pray it would be a song of dedication. Lord, people don't have to come to the altar to pray, but they can. 
and perhaps should. People don't have to walk down an aisle to make a decision, but maybe they could and should today to cement that. But Lord, I pray that every single person here would make a definitive decision today to say, I want to be a part of the family that your word describes in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand together. We're going to sing. Maybe this morning as we sing, the decision you need to make is repentance. You've been going one way and you just need to turn. Maybe you've been looking for the perfect church and you say, you know what? I just want to be a part of his church. Maybe you say, I've been searching for acceptance and you realize that God is inviting you to join his family. Today, we would love to help you understand what it means to be saved and what it means to have eternal life. We have encouragers that gather right down here at the front and they'd love to pray with you. Maybe you've got some need in your life and you just want somebody to listen and to pray for you. That's why they're here. So as soon as we begin singing, if the need of your life is to make that kind of decision, they would love to talk to you. Just step out from where you are. People will let you out. Come down the aisle and to uh, my left and your right and they can gladly pray with you and help you in whatever need you have. Let's sing together and you make decisions for the Lord.